we just meet people at their most vulnerable, and then we get to be their champion. Two people coming in with hazmat suits on <laughs> and taking me away. Two for two, heavy responding code one. We have a young lady unconscious. Topic approach one three two zero. Hi, I'm Landa Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and this is a podcast series about mateship, about life in the bush, and about the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in servicing rural communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast. So like I would take my hood down and roll it backwards, and then I would hand hygiene, and then I would unzip my suit, and then I would hand hygiene. And then I'd roll it down my arms and inside out, and then I'd hand hygiene and so on and so on. 2020 is a year none will forget, not just for the bushfires and the floods, but for a virus that has spread globally and killed hundreds of thousands of people. The Royal Flying Doctor Service is part of Australia's larger national health system, and as such, it is very much front lines when it comes to a national pandemic response. While lockdowns and restrictions have worked to keep the majority of our population safe from COVID-19, our frontline staff have been in the thick of it. They're gutsy and brave individuals. Their only defence against a contagious virus has been personal protective equipment and protocols. On this episode, I'm speaking to RFDS staff member Ali Cole about her frontline story. G'day, Ali. Hi there. You've worked in the health sector for a while, Ali. How did you come to be a road patient transport officer? You know, I just felt this pull a couple years ago where I felt like um, my heart just wanted to serve in a different way, if that makes any sense. Like I just needed to do more. And then I had a couple things happen with some friends where I got to be there and kind of assist them through some medical crisis and trauma. Um, And some people suggested, what about paramedicine? And um, I started to go to school. And then as I went through school, I got a diploma. um, And that diploma allowed me to work for Royal Flying Doctor Service. So it was kind of a backdoor, (laughs) long way in, but I got there. And that's about how. That's fabulous. What do you like about the work? I think it's that we just meet people at their most vulnerable. And then we get to be their champion, you know, and then we get to advocate for them, um, and it's, we're not often with people long, depending on if we're on a country run or we're on a, just a metro run. Um, but we get to be there when they're going through something that, you know, they might not fully understand or they've just come across in their life or they've just been dealt this hand of cards. And um, we get to be there with them for a brief moment and be, uh, I guess, without sounding too cheesy, but, you know, this normalcy you know we get to treat them like normal people and not like patients who are really sick in the bed or you know what I mean like we just you know hey how you doing tell me what's going on like of course I need to know what's happening from the nurse and things like that but you know we get to be there with these people and just meet them at their most vulnerable spot I think that's what I love the most is that genuine intimacy that you can't really get anywhere else that's great I know people around Australia generally associate the work of the Flying Doctor with planes, but we also have a vast road service fleet. In Victoria alone, we have over 130 non-emergency road service vehicles, and they provide an important role getting patients to where they need to go. So what would a regular day look like for you, Ali? 
Well, I think that's the other good draw about this line of work is there's no normal day. <laughs> Every day is a little bit different. Even if you go to the same hospitals or the same uh, places, it's all completely different every day. You just never know what's going to happen. Um, but on a normal day, you just you come in, you do a truck check, you get everything ready, and then you get dispatched a job that could be from, my, my base is out of Essendon. Um, so it could be anywhere from, you know, the western suburbs to the east or wherever, like metropolitan Melbourne. Or, you know, you could head out to sail for the day or um, ship for a quick run as well. And um, and then once you're on, on the go, it's it's about you and your partner in the truck and like building that rapport because that's not always the same. And it's a new face next to you most days. And um, you grab a coffee on the way and, you know, get some cheeky chat and how you doing going. And then... You meet your first patient and it's that's it. And you hit the ground running and it's it's not even work. I tell you, like most days, it's just driving around in a car with a few friends and having coffee in between. (laughs) Really? That's great. (laughs) It's pretty good. It's pretty great. Don't tell everybody or everybody's going to want to do it. (laughs) Tell me about the people you meet and what you like about them. Um, As far as patients go, they are... They bring something different. It's it's just is that that awesome feeling of like you can't judge a book by its cover. You know what I mean? You pick somebody up in a hospital and they let's let's not beat around the bush. They look, you know, normally down and out and a little rough or, you know, you know, they've had a time, if you will, whether it be a surgery or um, just a dialysis or anything like that. And you get there and then you start talking to them and they tell you the coolest stories you've ever heard. <laughs> and, you, and you're like, every day is the best book you've ever read. <laughs> That's great. So in March, when the global pandemic hit, before we had cases in Australia, did you have any inkling that there was going to be a personal impact? You know, I had no idea. I had, I sound naive, but I hadn't, none of us really knew the impact that we were all going to feel. Um, it's, in, it's, it's baffling to me. I feel very blessed and grateful that I got to work throughout it because I know so many people, people say, oh, we're so grateful you're working. Oh, thank you for being on the front line. But uh, I had it easy. I got to go out. I got to talk to people every day. I got to be in somewhat social settings. Yes, they were in hospitals and places like that. But I was able to get out of my house every day um, and, uh, you know, exercise my social outlet, if you will. Um, so I'm, I, I say more to power to the people who stayed home, you know, like because that mental exercise is backflips I could never do. It's insane, you know. Um, but yeah, for me personally and my partner and our, our family here, it was hard, you know, it's hard not to see people. And it was, it was hard on the heart. It was easy on the mind to say, you know what, no, we got to do the right thing. But it was hard on the heart for sure. At what point did the COVID response change the way things were done for you in your work? It, it changed really quick. It all started to happen. As soon as it hit, it hit hard and fast, I would say. It was, it was I personally wouldn't say there was an ease into it for us by any means. And it was all trial by fire, like, you know, especially um, PPE evolved as we're going through it. We got emails every single day, if not 
three times a day from our managers, our general managers, from our dispatch, from ops, from everybody saying, okay, this is how we've got to do things now. This is how you need to do PPE. This is how you're going to decontaminate. Okay, wait, 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 wait. we're not going to decontaminate there anymore. We've got to decontaminate here. Now they've integrated these things and you can't park here at this hospital and only in this entrance. And those are just the little things that changed, but like it it changed every day, every moment, um, right from the beginning. It was, um, it was incredible to watch. Uh, now, obviously you can tell by my accent, I'm not from here, but it was, it was incredible to watch Melbourne and Victoria just come together and work it out. You know what I mean? And like, this industry, it just stepped up in a way that it was it was beautiful to watch and to be a part of. Like, I've never been so proud to be a part of a company before. Like, Royal Flying Doctor Service, they did their best, man. And they, you know, they transported a lot of COVID positive. And to keep up with everything that was going on and then to, to relay that to all of us as well. And then to make sure we're all okay and safe and doing things. It was was incredible yeah so can you explain a little about the personal protective equipment that you have to wear and how long it takes to put it on and take it off I think they call it donning and doffing yeah donning and doffing um I have a video of donning and doffing but it's very it's one of the time-lapsed ones so it's really fast (laughs) and that is not the case (laughs) it takes a bit um because you want to do everything really carefully I'm a pretty fast-paced kind of ADHD the child like on the go if you will and I just slow down and do things like quite methodical you know because you don't want to have a PPE breach because then you know we we don't know what's going to happen um so we would go say we got a COVID job and um we'd get to the destination and if it was a house like if it was in a home we were going to go to we'd stop a few houses before um, and we would don and we would put on, um, we would first take off like our work shirts and wear undershirts because they're hot because we're going to put on a Tyvek suit and it's it's like a terrarium in there. <laughs> it gets really hot really quick. Um, so we would we'd pull up to a, a couple stops before a house and um, you put on your Tyvek suit, you put on two layers of gloves, um, you put on goggles. I wear spectacles. I don't know if you can see, but I wear spectacles. So I'd have to wear, I wore like Kim Lab goggles. <laughs> I look like a chemist. Most people had the giggles when they'd see me. But that would be hot and steamy in there as well. And then, you know, the the full white um, marshmallow man suit. Uh, it was like a Oompa Loompa, a giant Oompa Loompa with full hood on and then, you know, zip all the way up. And then we would have a P2 mask as well, um, which each thing would just kind of encompass a part of your body and just be hot. You know, like the mask would go around your nose and your mouth and it'd be so tight and you would just get a bit warm in the face and then your goggles. And it took about maybe like... 15 minutes to get all dressed up because you would tape your gloves to your to your Tyvek suit so because you wouldn't want to like reach your arms out and then have skin exposed in a breach if that makes any sense so you had to be really cautious and each step of the way you would kind of have your partner check you out and you check your partner out and you kind of do these 360 turns you know like a fashion show (laughs) during a pandemic and just make sure nothing's you know wrong or nothing got because those suits are kind of that weird tough paper material you know that crinkly 
And when you step in, you just don't want to rip anything or, you know, make sure that your zipper doesn't have a, a little hole or anything. Yeah, it took a bit. And then I think doffing took a, it went a bit faster because you were, you'd already cleaned the trunk because you'd clean the truck in full suit as well because you wouldn't want to contaminate yourself. Um, and you'd clean the truck. So you'd get, after you dropped off a patient, you'd clean everything in the cleaning process of the truck takes about 30 minutes to an hour, depends on where you were in COVID and how good and um, efficient you were, if you will. <laughs> and then you could, you could doff once all of that was done. And doffing took maybe about 10, 15 minutes as well. Cause you, you do it, it's very systematic and you have to use hand hygiene the whole way. So you would do a step. So like I would take my hood down and roll it backwards and then I would hand hygiene and then I would unzip my suit and then I would hand hygiene and then I would roll it down my arms and inside out and then I'd hand hygiene and so on and so on. And every step was, it just took, it took what it took, but you wanted to be safe. So it didn't feel like it was unnecessary. You know, it's just part of the process. as the Melbourne outbreak developed and you suddenly found yourself on the front lines and doing five, six, seven, ten transports a day of COVID patients? It was the normal. It was the absolute normal. That was the day on the job. You prepared for it. You did it. It was what it was. And you did it. Patients don't lose who they are and you don't lose who you are in the job role. You know, like, I'm still trying to connect with this person and still trying to be the best person I can for them in those moments of dark times. Cause they're far more scared than anything, you know, like, yes, I'm scared to get it, but I've got 18 layers of PPE on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. You know, I will, I took my cautious time so I could be there for somebody else. Yeah. And how do you comfort someone who's scared and being taken to hospital when they have COVID? What do you do to reassure them and and assist them? I just had to trust, you know, what the people above me would say, like, and I had to trust my PPE, you know, that that was it. That was my line of defense. And um, I just put my faith in that. I was like, you know, whether it was naive or not, I did. And, you know, I still... I would grab their hand or I would, you know, like um, I created that. I, people were afraid to touch. So physical intimacy, like it's simple. And I would just maybe put my hand on theirs and just be like, you know, have a chat. Maybe not even talk about COVID to them, you know, like just talk about whatever. Or if they wanted to just rest their eyes, I'd just sit there and be with them. Um, but you, in the time of COVID, you had to learn how to generate that intimacy in different ways because they couldn't, you have... You have no idea what mouth mannerisms are <laughs> until you lose them. So when you can't smile at somebody, you lose that ability to connect. Um, yeah, I hope we all have more smile lines after this, I guess. <laughs> it is really hard, isn't it? It's surprising how much we rely on a person's smile to know how they're doing. When you have a mask on and goggles and all these layers, it's so hard to communicate that compassion and affinity for a patient. And it's difficult for the patient to read the emotions of those caring for them. 
What were the ways that you found to circumvent those barriers of PPE? I I would just be straight up honest to most people. I'd be like, I promise I'm smiling under here. And I would just make sure that when I spoke, I spoke with my hands. I mean, because we must have looked scary. You know, I've, I've seen photos of myself in PPE and I'm like, who is that? <laughs> like, who is that? You couldn't tell if anything about me. You know what I mean? Like there's, so you just, I would get, I was a little bit more animated than I already am, which is wild. How could I be more animated? And, um, you know, you just, you spoke loud enough to get through the barrier of the mass to get into the ears of whoever needed to hear you. And, um, you just spoke with love pretty much. And, and you, again, I know that it sounds cheesy, but just to even just like to simply put your hand on their shoulder or arm and be like, oh, okay, you know, or like explain what you're going to do or like how you're going to get out of there or, you know, the next steps into getting onto the stretcher or, you know, to just create that connection in that way was, a, I feel like a lot less scary for them, you know, um, because... I just can't imagine seeing two people coming in with hazmat suits on <laughs> and taking me away. That would be the scariest thing ever for me. So I just, I, I, it was crazy communication, like letting them know step by step what we wanted to do, how we were going to try to help them, if there was anything that they needed from us, and, and then just letting them know that we were happy to be there and happy for them to be with us as well. A lot of people had that, like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And you just like, you just wanted them to know that there's no sorry. This is what we're here for. You're, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, well, Victoria has luckily come through several horrible months of lockdown and quelled the outbreak and dealt with the hot spot. They say that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Do you think that's the case for you, Ali, that you've come through the COVID-19 firing line and come through even stronger? I would like to say yes, but I also feel I feel so fortunate how everything went so far, has gone thus far with COVID and, and work that um, I just did what I was supposed to do. I don't know if um, I'm a stronger person for that or not. I feel like that's just anybody would have done it if that was their position to do that, you know, and I feel like everybody did their part, whether they stayed home and worked from home or they got up and they were a nurse and they went to the hospital every day or if they were a doctor or if they were a delivery person or if they were a courier or if whatever they were doing to even help those in this industry, you know, fulfill whatever COVID needs were, um, I just feel like we all just kind of did what we did together. I think, if anything, I think as a collective, people are stronger together. Um, me as an individual, of course, I love growth. I'm a bit, <laughs> I'm a bit cheeky and, and dorky. I love the idea of growth and becoming better and all those things. Um, but no, I'm just happy to be a part of. Due to the work that you've done in the last year or so, you've probably had more experience or contact with COVID-19 than the average Joe. Do you have any advice about how to keep a chin up when it comes to COVID-19? You know, just shining light on where we've come is a really good chin up. Um, we've gotten through the thick of it. And I think that 
we can we can get through anything, you know, now together as a whole. Just to point that out that how awesome we are together and that nobody can do it alone. We can all do it together. I think that's really insightful actually. It's really been such a group effort from government, industry and community to tackle this virus head on. And I'm really heartened that all of us together have been able to hold this virus at bay. Thank you so much, Ali, for giving us insight into your life on the front lines of COVID-19. I honestly don't know if I could do the work that you do and your strength, resolve and advice has really impressed me. So I'm so happy we have people like you on the front lines of the RFDS. Stick it out and keep doing the wonderful job you do. And thank you, Ali. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I feel humbled and I appreciate it. Flying Doctor podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone who you think will love it too. Thank you for listening to the Flying Doctor podcast.